Welcome back to Power of the Mind, where we give you simple tools to improve your relationship with yourself and with others. Today, we're going to talk a little bit about obsessive compulsive disorder and also hypochondria and the treatment of both of them. Really interesting episode. Hope you stay tuned. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Cast 11 Podcast Studios. I'm Alicia Morgeau, and I've got Greg Struvy here Hi. with me. How's it going? It's going good. Time for Power of the Mind with Brennan Mountain Behavioral Healthcare. It's yeah. been... I missed you last week, so we've got yeah. I've got lots that I want to talk about today. Great. So I would like to talk about hypochondriacs. Wow, that's a fun topic. Yeah, I thought it was, you know, something light. Just yeah. to, so kind of low key. Yeah. There's I know there are people that do, you know, that are hypochondriacs. You know, I always tell people, ah, oh, you're being a hypochondriac, but I guess it's a little more serious than just, oh, I think I'm getting sick. You know, sure. So. Well, hypochondria so hypochondria is the fear that you're ill and the belief that um, all of your symptoms are leading to something bigger than what they are. And it's a form of obsessive compulsive disorder um, that has been dramatically sort of improved upon by WebMD. Thank you, WebMD, for <laughs> well, giving would... our local hypochondriacs so much more information. On Google in general, though, but WebMD specifically. Um, you know, I, I, I always joke with friends who say, you know, I'm, I'm not feeling well. I say, well, you can Google it, and then you'll realize that you're actually in a lot of danger. Yeah. Right? So that's... You're probably on your deathbed right yeah, now. Could Don't be. even know it. Could be. <laughs> right? Yeah. I just was working with somebody a couple of weeks ago who um, their child had a, a really actually a relatively disturbing tick. And they Googled it and were really concerned that it was uh, a bad deal. Now, this time, it turned out not to be a bad deal, and it turned out to be something... Uh, pretty benign, but um, yeah, it's really easy to get into that stuff, especially, unfortunately, if you hit Google around 10 or 11 at night, right? So then you have to wait until the morning to get through mm -hmm. to a doctor or you end up in the ER, the urgent care for one thing or another. And then doctors, uh, I can think of a couple doctors I've worked with who've talked about uh, their irritation with Google. <laughs> I can imagine that for sure. Oh, sure, sure, sure. But yeah, hypochondria is a form of obsessive compulsive disorder. And so obsessive compulsive disorder. And obsession is a thought over which I have lost control, right? I have this thought in my head, this idea, this concern, and it takes on a life of its own. And all of a sudden, I can't, I can't keep track of it anymore. It is uh, it, it thinks me rather than me thinking it, so to speak. So that's how that part goes. And the, the compulsions maybe are a little less significant with hypochondria other than perhaps reaching out to a doctor or getting in touch with a medical professional or doing something like that. You know, in traditional obsessive compulsive disorder, I'm going to, you know, find a thing I can do as a ritual to help me believe that it will assist me in taking care of whatever's concerning me, hypochondriacs generally don't do that. They just look at what's happening in their life and believe it's going to cause them to die. So it comes back to a core fear of death, which we all have, actually. And, yeah. and some people argue that it runs a significant amount of our psyche, and I think there may be a bit of truth to that. So with the hypochondriac, their their fear of death is fairly ever-present and, and really significant. Oh. Hello. Oh, must be somebody. Got an I'm email super, or something. I'm super there. important. Yeah, you're so, a big deal. Normally, so. I don't have the the laptop, but there's so many different things on here that I wanted to make sure I covered. So, um, like you brought up the internet searches. So I think everybody does that. Sure. You know, it's like, oh, I've, gosh, I've got a headache, or this is going on. 
Um, but I think for the most part, if I see something, I always err on the side of, it can't be that. Like it's always, you know, it's like, oh yeah, I've got all those symptoms, but I'm sure it's something like totally like innocent. Sure, sure. But you think the hypochondriac takes it the other way. Yeah, I'd say <laughs> that's the idea anyway. So do they feel pain? I mean, do they physically feel sick? Can they physically make oh, themselves yeah. well, feel you sick? Can, you can, some people can do that and that doesn't even necessarily require um, hypochondria um, type of diagnoses or, or symptoms. You know, you can... You can somaticize illnesses without a whole lot of trouble. You know, people can get give themselves stomach aches. There are some folks who even think you can think yourself into more serious illnesses, although obviously that's pretty challenging to, mm-hmm. to demonstrate scientifically. It's there, there, there are some folks out there who are pretty convinced that can be the case. But yeah, definitely the I remember one time spending time with a guy who was terrified of tetanus in particular, and so he would. He would really. This is probably more of an obsessive compulsive situation than a hypochondria position specifically. But, but uh, you know, any kind of touching metal, wearing gloves, all kinds of different, oh. going to great lengths to avoid the possibility of contracting tetanus, was something that he really spent a lot of time and effort and energy thinking about. And you know, again, a, a lot of it has to do with underlying needs that aren't getting met. Mm. But those needs aren't. Super, it's pretty hard to work with those needs while the hypochondria or the obsessive compulsive disorder is still present. So we typically use a lot of behavioral and uh, cognitive interventions there, right? So exposure response prevention is actually really helpful in situations like that when there's just not a lot of other material that can work. So I sit and first I think about uh, a nail. I think about a nail and I monitor my experience and I get real mm-hmm. nervous. Okay, well, what's it like to get nervous? Look, you didn't die. You're just feeling nervous. You're going to sit in my office. We're going to feel nervous. All right, now we're going to look at a nail. We're going to bring a nail into the office and have a look at it from far away. And we continue to ramp up the exposure to the the scary stimulus and notice that, again, we, we, we don't die. And this is sort of an oversimplification of it, but yeah. it's not too far off. Wow. And then over time, eventually, I get to a point where I can touch the nail and have the experience and be okay. But the the challenge, of course is if somebody is obsessively terrified of engaging with an animal or a nail or something like that, it can be a bit of a a challenge to convince them that it's in their best interest to engage in exposure response prevention. So so that's where the art part comes in clinically, you know, saying, hey, no, this is a good idea. This thing you've built your lifestyle around not doing, we should do. Right. (laughs) It's a tough pitch, tough sale. And, and I've always, you know, I've always read the brain is lazy. You can convince it of anything, really. So if you oh, convince it that it, it's, yeah. for me, I, you know, I, if I get sniffles or I feel like I'm getting sick, I tell myself you're not getting sick. Like you have mm-hmm. to, but I do feel like when I give into it, I end up getting way sicker than I would have had I just been like, okay, you're fine. Sure. But you know, that's my personality, right? Like, sure, sure. Stop being depressed. I'm fine. Thing. I'm going to eh, make it good. work. Pull yourself right. up by your bootstraps, but. So that's, I've always noticed that my kids, oh, I'm sick. You're fine. Let's mm-hmm. just get up and let's, you know, let's do something. Um, one of the signs on here was multiple doctor appointments. Oh, sure, so sure. So how do you find these doctors or do you see people that are going to different doctors until they can convince somebody that they're really sick? Or is it just they keep getting that whole, you're not, you're fine, go home? Or Well, yeah, you, you, you have the assumption or the experience of telling the doctor that you're ill and the doctor misunderstanding you. 
That's how you oh. internalize it, right? The doctor doesn't understand you. Sometimes there's a certain amount of carried shame attached to the hypochondria, this idea that uh, maybe I've, I've worked with one in particular I can think of who was sort of pretty, pretty aware. You know, you can be in a situation, the psyche works in parts. There's a whole field of psychology dedicated to parts therapy called internal family systems, where you, you look at the different parts of yourselves and, and people say that to each other. We talk about that all the time. You know, there's a part of me that really wants to, you know, be angry and lash out. And there's a part of me that's really sad. And there's a part of me that's really just okay with everything. Um, so we'll say that in our, in our normal speech with each other. And the parts therapy piece can really show up in terms of somebody with hypochondria or obsessive compulsive disorder where they're kind of aware that what they're doing is outside the norm and maybe not rational and they're not very excited about it. Mm -hmm. um, so that can be a part of it too. You know, I'm making multiple appointments. It's possible that really what's happening is I, I feel some shame about what I'm doing. And in, in many respects, if you get into the internal family systems material, when you're talking about obsessive compulsive disorder, you're really talking about a very childlike part that's using rituals to try to calm itself down. The problem you have is that the rituals, they're subject to what behaviorists call um, extinction. So um, if I have something I'm worried about and locking the door helps, well, locking the door only helps so many times if it's not a particularly rational fear, right? If I hear something outside and I'm worried and lock the door, that's one thing. But if it's, um, you know, if it's more of a childlike fear and I, I just need to lock the door, locking the door makes me settle down. Oh, whew, all right, I feel much better. I wonder if locking the door twice would help because eventually locking the door once doesn't work. Oh. So now I'll try twice and okay, twice makes me feel better. And that's the slippery slope of obsessive compulsive mm -hmm. disorder. And that's where you, you have to intervene on the rituals because um, like any kind of addiction, you, know, you can think about M&Ms. Remember when you were a kid eating candy? Remember what M&Ms tasted like when you were four? They were like magic, so good, right? And nowadays, well, if you haven't had M&Ms or sugar for a while, you try some M&Ms. They're pretty amazing at first, yeah. but man, oh man, get a handful of those suckers or start eating them every day and it kind of loses its panache. You know, mm -hmm. we are, as human beings, almost all of our habits or behaviors are subject to this idea of extinction of, of, of being extinguished and that's the thing we have to worry about when we're when we're dealing with ocd is if i allow myself to self-soothe and not feel the fear ultimately somebody with obsessive compulsive disorder or hypochondria they're afraid of their fear so it's really interesting it's like a like a meta fear of right. sorts and the trick is learning to feel the fear and having the experience of realizing that the fear won't do any harm. It's just a sensation. It's just a feeling. It's so, just an experience. I'm just feeling tightness in my chest, tightness in my throat. Even a panic attack, which is the most uncomfortable experience a human being can have without invasive harm that I know of. Uh, biologically, it's it's pretty, pretty bad. It, it won't hurt you. So if I accept it won't hurt me and just sit in it and let it go, it will work through. Wow. Right. So that's a lot of what I do with my guys with OCD or, or something like that is we just spend some time being like, okay, let's be afraid. Let's feel the fear. Let's notice fear. See what wow. happens. Uh, but again, it's a tough sell. Being a clinician, being a therapist, you're sort of a pain salesman. Mm -hmm. You know? Which pain is worse, right? <laughs> Basically, that's exactly right. You know, hey, whatever brought you in here is causing you a bunch of pain. 
the way to solve it is probably going to also be painful and maybe even more painful in the short term. But you have to decide if you want to take your pain in a mm -hmm. big chunk up front or if you want to, you know, delay it with with lots of interest Constant. over the years. Yeah. <laughs> that's that's a real good summary of what I do. Yeah, because yeah. it's the fear of being afraid. Like, I don't want to yeah, be afraid, totally. so I need to do this, 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 and this. So now it's the so uncomfortable to have to do all these things that you're doing because you're afraid of feeling. Then they stop the working fear. and they start interfering wow. with my life and they just get to the point where, and friends and family have a heck of a time. You know, it's not fun to have a kid with OCD. All yeah. the different rules you have to follow, and at first people try to appease them. It's like it's like it's the same thing as having a kid with an addiction in many respects. It's similar. I shouldn't say it's the same, but it's similar. Yeah. Where in the beginning people will typically try to appease or logic their way out of it, mm -hmm. and by the end they're usually just really mad. Well, and you've always said that people won't change until it's worse to not change than to to right. find or. And that's where the art of working in the context of, you know, hypochondria or, or obsessive compulsive disorder really is, is it's just helping a person understand how much they're suffering mm -hmm. and how much it costs them to continue what they're doing versus to look at their fear. And when they're ready to work, it usually is when they've come to the conclusion that this is really bad. this elaborate, awful thing that's taken away my social life and taken away my ability to get outside my home is actually worse than facing my fear and sitting in terror. It's a pretty uncomfortable situation. Oh, gosh, I never would have guessed. I always thought, you know, hypochondriac was like, oh, I think I'm getting a cold or this or that. <laughs> and um, one of the things was complaining, having that mindset, you know, the toxic mindset of just, you know, I'm sick today, but I'm probably going to be so much sicker tomorrow, you know, or, or this mm -hmm. is going to be... Um, but fear of future illnesses. So that was one of the things where I was sure. reading where it's like, I'm not sick now, but I'm probably going to get sick tomorrow. Or if I do this, I'm definitely going to get sick. Yeah, yeah. And that's where you get some of the OCD cleaning up type mm -hmm. of behaviors that you'll see with people who, or where they isolate themselves and do a, a small environment. And also with COVID, it was really challenging because you had a bunch of folks, particularly people who were older who developed real phobias of social mm -hmm. situations and settings that they're still struggling to come out of now. And it's challenging because they really were in danger. Right. Right. That's, it was real. So um, the challenge of course now is trying to decipher how real is it and what, to what degree do I want to or need to take those precautions going forward? Because really, if you get COVID or you get pneumonia, there are some people that this is, you know, life or death for you. If you yeah. get that, it could, you know, put you in a, you know, really bad state where I can see that hypochondria and it's not even hypochondria. It's like, you're really, <laughs> something really bad could happen. Legit chondria. I don't know what Legit. the word would be for that probably, mm -hmm. but. <laughs> so, yeah. It was saying like germaphobes. Yeah. So if you notice somebody who's so afraid to touch anything, or if you touch mm -hmm. their glass mm -hmm. or mm -hmm. sure. it just can send them into just a panic and. Um, a lot of them won't have pets because of the, oh, sure. the illness yeah, that a yeah. pet could, you know, the extra. I've worked with a couple people who were particularly terrified of various pets, horses. I remember one guy, young man, actually, who was really, really scared of horses. And um, his fear of horses, my little town, lots of people have horses. Mm -hmm. And his fear of horses eventually had him not going outside the house. And really, even though he didn't live nearby horses at the time, he had a tough experience and his brain locked it in. And it was a really classic example, too, of a young man who felt awful 
about all of his stuff and didn't like it at all. So he really was you know, kind of torn in two. I felt terrible for him. Gosh. 17 years old. Huh. Yeah, really self-conscious kid. And I mean, it's hard enough to be 17, let alone to be 17 and have a debilitating fear of horses that you can't control, keeping you in the house all the time. So, But he got some treatment and he got better. Good. He was a good kid. Always like when you turn the... The happy spin on it. Well, it's, it's fun when I have a happy spin. Yeah, I don't it's have nice. that, obviously. It's, but. I always want to hear the good ending. Sure, so, sure. Purse full of medications. So you know oh, those people sure, that have sure. a pharmacy of everything in there. Oh, oh yeah. do you have a stomachache? I have this. I have that. <laughs> it's like, Alicia, do you have your purse? I don't even know where my purse is. <laughs> <laughs> um, so it's like, you know, are you really sick? You know, and that's, I think, the question that they're asking people. It's like, are you really sick? Is it something that you're manifesting or, you know, making happen? But I... I never thought that hypochondriac was anything more than just, you know, oh, that person that you always think they're coming down with something. But I had no idea how debil- debilitating it could be or how it's... Yeah, it can be pretty rough. A lot of times, almost always, you're seeing a response to a very traumatic and dramatic um, childhood. You know, not always. Sometimes there's a lot of neglect in there too. But a lot of times you're talking about a lot of trauma and a lot of you know, one way of thinking about hypochondria or obsessive compulsive disorder is I'm trying to uh, control the uncontrollable, mm-hmm. right? And I'm, I'm taking, because all of us had a friend many years ago who decided um, she wanted to get into public health and, and got involved in, this, in the CDC. And she said, if you really understood what was out there, nobody would go outside. Like nobody would ever touch anything. No one would eat at a restaurant. She said, if you really got how much is out there and what it does and how it works, like it's really rough. So so that's the thing, right? We're all taking a certain level of risk all the time. And you might think of it as um, sort of risk management gone awry, right? Because we all have to take some precautions. Right. Yeah. For me, it's always like, well, you know, you let your kids play in dirt, you let your kids kind of do or their not. thing. They build up their own immunities and everything's going to be fine, you know, yeah. but gosh, what a, it's sad, sad for people to have to, to live like that. So, so there's another topic I want to get into, but I think it's going to be a long one. So I do want to talk about Munchausen. Is it, how's it, you say it? Munchausen? Munchausen. Munchausen. Let's come back to that on the next episode. Let's do that. Yeah, I think think that'll be good. That's a fun one. Okay. I mean, it's not fun for the people who are involved in it, but it's, it's certainly interesting. It can hold its own topic. It can, it can definitely hold its own episode for sure. Perfect. So if you think you're a hypochondriac, if WebMD is your best friend, you've got a (laughs) pharmacy full of pills in your purse, you're, and that's like the, the light side of it. I mean, if you've got this debilitating illness where you're afraid to walk out of your house, what should they do? Well, you can always give Granite Mountain a call or go to the website, granitemountainbhc.com. And that, that can work. You're mm-hmm. always welcome to reach out to me and I can put you into touch with somebody. I'm at gregstruvy.com. Nice. And those are the best options I can think of. Perfect. Well, thank you so much for clearing that up for me because I just, like I said, I learned a lot today. So I appreciate that. And as always, my favorite part of the day. And we will see you guys next time. Thanks for tuning in. For information about mental health and addiction treatment, you can reach out to Granite Mountain Behavioral Healthcare online at Granite Mountain bhc.com that's granite mountain bhc.com or give us a call at 877-338-6287 that's 877-338-6287 if you have a comment about this podcast or a question you'd like us to address in the podcast 
you can check out the Contact Us page at my website, gregstruvy.com. That's G-R-E-G-S-T-R-U-V as in Victor, E as in Edward, dot com. This has been a Cast 11 production brought to you by Granite Mountain Behavioral Healthcare. This episode was produced by Austin Morrison. Follow Cast 11 on Facebook, Instagram, and Pinterest at Talking Glass Media. <laughs>